everyone. Um, I'm going to be reading from Ecclesiastes. Sorry, just got to get out my glasses here. From chapters 1 and chapter 12. Um, so reading from chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labour at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. And chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Thanks, mate. Good morning. I'm now in the camera sites. Who's this strange voice? Uh, Steve Abbott, uh, my privilege to open up God's Word this morning. Let me just pray again as we look at the garment of vexation. I've got the garment of love and the garment of vexation, opposite extremes, but there you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that Ecclesiastes is in the Bible because it reminds us that uh, we don't have our act together. It reminds us that we might think we're wise, but we're not. It reminds us that one might think we'll live forever, and it reminds us we won't. 
and we pray that we might learn to live life as gift and not gain as Ecclesiastes teaches us and we pray it in Jesus name Amen well today we do come to the uh, fourth of our garments and the message of vexation or perplexity from Ecclesiastes. It becomes immediately clear from the opening barrage that this teacher is a debunker of human aspirations. Notice what he says in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless on the surface this book of wisdom appears relentless in its negative assault on human endeavors and human priorities i'm sure you're familiar with those uh, parts you know the back of your bible it says if you hope if you want to read a passage on hope you might like to read romans 5 if you want to read a passage about peace you might like to read uh, romans 8 if you want to read about depression, read Ecclesiastes. <laughs> That's what it seems like on the surface. Yet we shall see that such a conclusion would not be an accurate representation of this extraordinary spirit-breathed book. A book that continues to speak powerfully and divinely into our 21st century context. Now, all over the world, people from all walks of life have aspirations and goals for their lives. People's life choices suggest they are seeking to achieve the good life, uh, the happy life, uh, the satisfied life, the meaningful life, the fulfilled life, the contented life. In our Aussie context, the accelerator pedal for this life is pushed by a predatory and immoral advertising industry that promises the earth in return for our souls. It's pressed further by the movie and TV industry that provides an ever-fresh succession of role model fantasies that we are supposed to imitate so that we might... Um, live out rather than uh, these fantasies rather than live reality popular society tells us there are gains to be made there is yet another way to increase our income yet another way to improve our health and push off death yet another cruise or vacation spot to de-stress our lives yet another way to satisfy our sexual desires some of the stock in trade tools employed to achieve this satisfied and significant life are education, experimentation and accumulation. We imagine we understand better than any generation before ours how to make the world work for us. And we can almost do it all on our smartphones. We think, how clever are we? in control and on our way to happiness and true meaning. Now it's into this particular context that the message of Ecclesiastes comes into its own. Once again, we shall see that scripture is sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Even 21st century hearts are exposed by it. 
as we look into this wonderful but perplexing book, we shall note some of its big ideas. We can't look at all of them. It's uh, got 12 chapters and we're only having one message. The last time I preached on Ecclesiastes, several moons ago, uh, we did a series of five to try and capture the book. But we'll look at some of the big ideas. And firstly, we'll look at the idea of the big motto, Hebel, meaningless. The big repeated idea of the book of life is meaningless. It uh, is always used to translate the Hebrew word Hebel, um, and, uh, uh, which means a breath or, if you like, vapor or mist. A few times in the book, another phrase is used to give us a picture of this word, a chasing after the wind. So what does Hebel mean? Well, I've brought along a little thing we, pl we put on in our lounge room from time to time. Um, I'm just going to get rid of the light so that doesn't distract you. There we go. And here comes, I hope you can see the mist. It's quite a nice smell too. So this deodorizer is a way of trying to understand this word, Hebel. It's used 38 times in the book. It's telling us that life can be vexing. Now, if I try to catch the steam and then show it to you, when I do, there's nothing left. And that's a bit of the idea that we think we have grasped life, but when we open our hands up, we realize what we've tried to grasp hasn't worked. Life can be vexing, frustrating, and hard to grasp. It doesn't always work out as planned. For example, sometimes good people die young and wicked people live to an old age. It doesn't seem fair. The successful pursuit of wealth and pleasure, we grasp for it. We think we've got hold of it, but it doesn't bring lasting satisfaction or significance. Life is hebel, meaningless, vexing, perplexing. We can see it, but we can't grasp it. In life, we don't know or understand or see everything clearly. Life passes through stages and sometimes it feels pointless. Like youth and fitness. Here's a handsome young couple. You might recognize us. Um, but guess what? Youth and fitness don't last. I'm a living testimony <laughs> that that is the case. And hanging over our lives is death's shadow, which Ecclesiastes regularly reminds us of. And death reminds or brings to question all the things we've valued, all the things we've laid hold of, all the things we've stored up. Are they of any value? Are they not just simply a mist? Ecclesiastes then shouts a bell, meaninglessness, over every human pursuit and labour. So the reader can't miss it. And the labour or the toil is also a big theme of the book. It surfaces right up front in chapter 1 verse 3. What do people gain from all their labours, all their toil at which they toil under the sun? Now this human toil thing can be played out with two different angles of vision. So we come to our second big idea, Ecclesiastes' big two worldviews, under the sun and under the heavens. Barry Webb correctly reminds us that these phrases are not identical perspectives. 
by the phrase under the sun used 13 times in the book it carries um, we, we are meant to understand human existence viewed primarily without any reference to God just human endeavor on its own their environment where people seek for gain with little or no reference to there being a God at all whereas under the heavens used three times but the concept comes up in other parts of the book carries the additional suggestion of the divine government of the world in which humans do their thing their environment where all of life is seen as gift and where even the reality of the vapor the mist Hebel despite the meaningless outcomes that come even they fit somewhere within the divine plan even though for us they may remain a mystery let's explore these two angles of vision a little more closely firstly under the sun life is personal gain in Ecclesiastes 1 3 it has raised one of the big questions of the book what do people gain from all their toil at which they toil under the sun isn't it true that we often do things and we want to know what's in it for me what gain is there for all of our hard work our toil here on earth what's the advantage it's this very question what can be gained which the king the voice of the teacher in chapter 1 verse 12 explores early in the book the teacher sets about looking for what can be gained in life using various resources he pursues wisdom madness folly pleasure laughter wine and great projects he seeks to expand his portfolio he even accumulates his own band so he can have his own entertainment and he has lots of sexual partners and he describes them all as the delights of a man's heart and in 2 10 a, in chapter 2 verse 10a we read this summary statement i denied myself nothing my eyes desired i refused my heart no pleasure i refused my heart no joy but when wisdom kicks in and he reflects on this endeavor this toil he comes up with the conclusion in verse 11 yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve everything was vapor meaningless Hebel, a chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun adding to this disappointment outcome of the life for personal gain is death reality so we read in verses 14 16 for the wise like the fool will not long be remembered the days have already come when both have forgotten like the fool the wise too must die this life under the sun picture quite depressing but it reads like the confessions of the workaholic materialist of our time who's finally come to their senses sometimes we too can be sucked into that vortex of thinking things will satisfy us people who sadly labor without the wisdom of God and we can end up copying them 
in 217 to 23, it provides a sobering account of the relentless anxiety of the materialist who lives under the shadow of unavoidable death, an anxiety that can disturb serenity in the daytime and sleep at night. This life under the sun, which is unsatisfying, is, according to the end of the chapter, the godless sinner's life. Those who believe they are the captains of their souls and the masters of their fate. Such a life is a sorry, vexing, perplexing business. But even in a world of vapour, in a world of hebel, where life throws up vexing issues, there's another angle of vision. Life not as gain, but life as gift of God. It's seeing life as God's provision. Life under the heavens, divine gift. The teacher stresses the absolute necessity of acknowledging the hand of God in all of life. Only this makes living in a Hebel perplexing world tolerable, knowing that there is a plan somewhere in the midst of the confusion and difficulties. So we read uh, at the end of chapter 2, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. You see, it's okay to find satisfaction, enjoyment in one's own work, in their career and what it produces. It's okay once you have understood it comes as a gift of God. And is always engaged, engaged in, mindful of God. The New Testament Gospel of Jesus puts an amazing layer of clarity on this. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work, to the toil of the Lord. Because you know that your labor, your toil in the Lord is not in vain it is not missed it is not um, unable to be grasped now I wonder what these two ways of viewing life look like now when I first preached on Ecclesiastes um, we did a five-week series and I included in a reflection about an incident that happened with uh, my two grandsons at the time uh, Noah and Parker and my son and daughter-in-law who were visiting us and I thought I'd reflect on that in the light of these two ways of viewing life to see if I can help us all grasp what life looks like depending on the angle of vision you use. So firstly, life as gain. The family arrive on Saturday and I feel I have to rush home and not quite finish my task at the office for Sunday. Ah oh, well, it's family. I arrive and they've already started eating all the pre-dinner food, particularly the stuff I like. And it's a little noisy. Forget about watching the news tonight. Still, it's nice to see the little cherubs, Noah nine and Parker three and a half. And I do gain a cuddle after some persuasion in Parker's case. Sue's joyfully distracted, so I set about sorting out my own drink and know that dinner will be delayed. 
Of course, no football on TV tonight. Probably the best we'll make is the Incredibles again. But anything's better than the Wiggles' big red car. They will, of course, go to bed late. And sure enough, they're up early. Not a lot of quiet on Sunday morning for me to do my final prep for services. Sue is completely besotted. Forget about any focused conversation with her until they leave. The afternoon is a three-generation activity at Nitro Circus. Son Simon and grandson Noah love it, but I get a headache. And I think Sue paid 80 bucks for my birthday present for this ticket. 45 minutes to get out of the car park. Then as they leave, after we get home and get the rest of the family, it takes 15 minutes to do the toilet trips, including my daughter-in-law, Stacey, at the last minute. Can you believe it? We wave goodbye. I sit in the family room and it looks like a bomb went off. Same event, different angle of vision. Life is gift. Sue calls the office. They've arrived. I offer a prayer of thanks that they arrive safely despite an hour's traffic jam on Pennant Hills Road. I race home and get a welcome cuddle from Noah and after a fun chase, one from Parker too. What joy God brings us in these two boys. It's lovely to see the family enjoy the great spread that Sue's put out and I'm glad to have the resources to share with them. I watch Sue prepare food play with the boys, watch the smile well up from her heart and I thank God for the wife of my youth who is now the delightful, distracted Nanny Sue of my grandsons. Our home rings with the joyful sounds of family. The boys play racing games with boisterous laughter and it's clear they love each other enormously. Who cares what's on reality TV tonight when I'm living reality in my lounge room? Thank God these boys can be safe in our home. And may their obvious love tonight remain throughout their life. We're ready for bed. But Parker, who's outlasted his older brother, nestles next to us in our bed somehow. Cheeky, but what a delightful gift he is. Don't need the alarm this Sunday morning. Parker, guess what, is up early. Thank you, God, despite little sleep he's happy and playful today i'm so glad without any persuasion my son's family will be at our 10 a.m service after church we head for a wonderful three generation nitro circus extravaganza it might be noisy and yes i do have a slight headache when it's over but it was such a gift to watch my son and grandson have so much fun it was an unexpected joy to have an additional 45 minutes to chat in the car while we waited for the car park to empty. And we only paid 20 bucks for the privilege. What a gift to see my son's patience as the toilet parade takes place. And I recall my own lack of patience when I was his age. I'm glad he's a more patient dad than I. Thank you, God, for answering my prayers. The messy lounge room will keep. It's a reminder of a blessed family time. Do you see the difference? Wouldn't I love to be able to say, I'm always like the latter? <laughs> I'm not, I fall in between. But I need to ask you the question. 
Does the way you and I normally live reflect life as gift or gain? Does the way you and I normally live reflect life as gain or gift? How might we be pushed to choose gift instead of gain? Well, the conclusion to Ecclesiastes points the way. The final word, a big wise word, how to live in God's world. The book ends with the wise word about the wise life. In short, it's sweet, but it's deep. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. These words echo the chorus song, which occasionally serves in the book. We saw it earlier in chapter 2, and we see it again in chapter 8, verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. To fear God and keep his commandments is to rejoice and remember that all that God does and say, says is a gift. It's grace. It's all for our benefit and explains why we were made. Kirk Patson, who's got a series of brilliant talks on Ecclesiastes, is helpful when he says, when you fear God, you end up smiling. Why? Because you see the, his gifts in every detail of life. Notice how 12.11 describes the wise words of God. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now understand this, a goad was a piece of wood with nails in it. And it was used by shepherds to just gently pat the sheep to make sure they went not down dangerous paths, but the right paths. Of course, it brings some pain. So Ecclesiastes has brought us some pain. Spiritual pain, that's the metaphor, that's what it's being used for. Not that God uses a big stick to beat us over the head. It's rather he has challenged us spiritually and the book has brought us some pain. It's been brutally honest, shoving reality and all its vexations up our nose. It reminds us of our folly in seeking gain instead of gift and God. It regularly reminds us we don't know everything and we never will. We are not God. And it doesn't shrink from repeatedly reminding us we all come with a use-by date. Do you recognize that? Do you live like that? We will die and God will hold us accountable for the choices we've made. Can you feel the spiritual nails as you read Ecclesiastes? Can you hear the gentle wisdom as well? So then follow God's prodding, pursue his path, fear God and keep his commandments. Rejoice and remember. We also need to take heed some words later in, chapter, in verse 12. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, that is, in addition to God's wisdom. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. The point here is neither to write our own book of wisdom, nor simply to swallow the wisdom of the world. When we have, 
God's wisdom. It tells us everything we need to know about how to live a wise, God-focused life. The only answer we need is to fear God and keep his commandments, to rejoice in creation and remember his word. Of course, as Christians, our wise God is known as Jesus. It was he who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me all who are weary and burdened. Let me just tweak that. Come to me all who are vexed and perplexed, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our attempts to gain make us weary and burdened, vexed and perplexed. Because as we've seen from Ecclesiastes, they don't satisfy. Everything is vapor, it's a mist, we can't grasp it. It's a chasing after the wind. So we attach ourselves to Jesus and we let him lead. And if you have not done that, can I encourage you to do that, whether you're at home or in this room? Lean into Jesus. Come to him. If I'm going for a tandem bike ride with, my, with a little child, who decides which way to go? Well, I'm in the front seat, so I do. Now we're all to be like the child with Jesus. The Lord pedals from the front. We follow him. We follow his wisdom. We learn from him as the metaphor is provided in Matthew. And despite the reality, there is a yoke, there is a burden. We're told it's light. Jesus will bring a smile to our faces for we will find rest for our souls if we attach ourselves to Jesus. So we rejoice and remember that Jesus' wisdom is the best and joyful way to live, not just the best way to die. With Jesus, all our toil will ultimately be gained. So as I bring our reflections on Ecclesiastes, the garment of vexation to an end, what can we say? Well, despite its refrain that life is a bell, a vapour, a mist, meaningless, vexing, perplexing, fleeting, complex and complicated, the message in the end is not one of despair, gloom and doom. No, it's about enjoying life in the face of God's reality. Yes, our natural default is to be foolish and ignorant. Yes, we tend to see the earth as a place for gain, not gift. We all too easily forget and behave as if there is no death and no accountability. But the teacher urges us to seize the day as God's rich gift, to grab each moment as divine grace. So we're to embrace the seasons of birth and death and all the ups and downs in between. We're to rejoice in eating and drinking. We're to rejoice in children and spouse. We rejoice in our labor, our education, our career. We are to enjoy our family and friends, even when not everything makes sense because we see it as gift. And as you do remember, these are all gifts from God. Engage with life as the Lord commands. This life on earth is designed to have at its centre the God who created everything and who holds everything in his hands. 
the sovereign God who also spread out his arms that we might be declared forgiven. Therefore, remember his words. Learn from Jesus. Go where he leads, for Jesus is the best way to live as well as the only way to die. How will you and I measure the value of the message of Ecclesiastes? Well, it won't be because we found the message entertaining. It ought not to be because we got some new information. The way we should measure any book of the Bible when we read it is, has it transformed us? Is it shaping how we now live? As Webb concludes, Ecclesiastes is a garment to wear when we finish with performance, finish with life as gain and are ready for work, toil for the Lord. It's a garment we can wear with contentment and confidence, knowing that our times are in God's hands. What garment would be suitable? A pair of overalls, perhaps? A garment for those who are through once and for all with an arrogant can-do attitude, who've embraced death and God's reality. Yes, this is a garment that shouts humility and faith in the Christ Jesus of our Easter story, the gospel of grace. Surely overalls are a fitting garment for those who step out each day into God's garden to toil at the work he has given us. Not focused on personal gain, but life as divine gift for God's glory. So in closing, here again, two words from scripture. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, as I was uh, working through Ecclesiastes, uh, Psalm 131 kept percolating in my brain. It's a psalm that as the picture of a weaned child sitting on its mother's lap, leaning in, not needing to be fed, but calm and content. And I think that's the direction Ecclesiastes takes us to. So I formulated a prayer based on Psalm 131, and it's on the screen, and I would like you to say it with me if you feel it's appropriate for you to do so. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you empty of pride and arrogance. We recognize there are elements of creation and human experience that we just don't understand. These can be perplexing. But like a content child leans into its mother, we have found calm and quiet by leaning into you. We are learning contentment in your love and grace. Today, despite the vexations of human experience, we place our hope in you, the Lord of creation, salvation, and your people. Amen.